Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Nickley. Today's episode marks the end of Season 8, and it's with a true legend of the entertainment industry, Ron Howard. From his earliest days as a child actor on The Andy Griffith Show, to Happy Days, to becoming one of film's most respected directors, Howard has been in the zeitgeist for over 60 years. Splash, Cocoon, Parenthood, Backdraft, Apollo 13, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Frost Nixon, Rush, Solo, A Star Wars Story. His director credits include many of the greatest films of the past 35 years. I've said this to so many people. Probably the most rewatched video on my YouTube account is the re-entry scene from Apollo 13. It is, in my opinion, the best edited film sequence ever. It makes me cry every single time, even though I know our heroes are going to splash down safely. Of Howard's many gifts, his remarkable ability to turn nonfiction into nail-biting suspense is second to none. During the 2022 Scad Savannah Film Festival, Howard was honored with a much-deserved Lifetime Achievement Award. Paula Wallace presented him with his award before a packed crowd about to experience Howard's latest achievement, 13 Lives, which chronicles the incredible 2018 rescue of the 12 boys and their soccer coach trapped in a flooding cave system in northern Thailand. It's exactly the kind of story of humanity overcoming the odds that Howard commands so well. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity, a conversation between Paula Wallace and Ron Howard. Well, Ron, it is such an honor to welcome you to SCAD to receive the Lifetime Achievement Award in directing. Well, well, well deserved here at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival. I appreciate it. It, it's, uh, it was fun. Also fun to just sort of uh, drink up the, the environment here around SCAD. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. And I, I can sort of see the, the synergy with the community. Yeah. Uh, and Savannah is an interesting, exciting city and beautiful and uh, you know, so I'm, I'm having I'm having a lot of fun. Thank you for thank you for coming. I hope you'll come back. I will. Your time here has included the chance to speak with some students, um, and I was at that master class and at your Q and A. It was wonderful. Thank you for so generously sharing anecdotes and experiences and just answering questions. You know, with such generosity, um, you did such a wonderful job. Obviously, wow. you've done this a few times. Yeah. It, it was amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. I always find it interesting uh, and and stimulating because. Uh, you know, smart questions coming from people who are, you know, really committed. Yes. Um, really, really dedicated. It's it. it uh, I find it energizing because you got to give thoughtful answers, and uh, sometimes you can get onto your own hamster wheel, and um, and you're you're doing and doing and doing as you've done over the years, but um, you're not as conscious of why, and um, and and what the reasons are behind, uh, you know, the decisions that you make or directions that you follow. So it's, uh, you know, for me, constructive too. Sometimes with hindsight, you see things much more yeah, clearly. Yeah, I think so. And I was glad to hear that you approved of our collaborative approach with our over 100 degree programs. Um, that means a lot too. Yeah. I think it's so valuable because often they sort of bifurcate these things and silo the different departments off, and it's all art. And more than ever, 
everything blends. It, you know, uh, everything's uh, kind of fusion. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, the, the fact that you encourage that sort of cross collaboration is really uh, valuable, and it's more consistent with the real world too. Yes, and then students become very respectful of the rigors of the other disciplines, and they know who to call on. Oftentimes, as you told them, they'll be calling on their friends from SCAD later. Yeah, yeah they will. And uh, um, I think that that community is, you know, is going to prove to be valuable. But I think you're also right. Like I was suggesting to everyone there that you know, if you're interested in directing or writing or producing, you should also do some acting along the way. And uh, you know, if you're acting, you should you should know what it is to sit down and try to write a scene uh, and, and face the blank page uh, or take charge of a scene and direct it. Mm-hmm. Understand um, what that process is from that perspective because it's, you know, it all, it all adds up to just sort of deepening, I think, the artist's understanding but also their ability to relax because if they have a sense of what all the moving parts are, they can, they can be a little more at ease when the pressure is really on, because things aren't so mysterious to them. Um, it's just part of a process they, they understand. So true, so insightful. In talking about the importance of storytelling, you emphasize that the director is the keeper of the story, and you advised aspiring filmmakers to rewatch favorite films or scenes without the sound. Love that suggestion to hone their skills. Can you recommend a couple of your own films or specific scenes uh, that we should study in this manner? Oh. Well, it depends on what you're interested in. You know, like if you're if you're, you know, if you're interested in car action, I think watching a couple of the race scenes from Rush with the sound off would tell you a lot more about how we actually achieved it, what the shots were, what the angles were, uh, the speeds of the cars in reality versus maybe how they feel from a visceral standpoint when it has the sound and the music supporting it. Um, uh, do you know, same with underwater work and in, in some of my other films, but it's also a good idea. Like, I think it'd be interesting for, for somebody to watch Russell Crowe in a couple of the various uh, stages of uh, his, the development of his character in Beautiful Mind and, and just watch his body Yes. Watch his eyes. He, um, you know, he he was so connected, and and yet very experimental in his approach to, you know, what he was doing to try to recreate this, you know, schizophrenia, and um, and it took a real toll on him emotionally during the course of that film. But to look at that again without the sound, and just understand his body language. And uh, and again, watch 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 the the, um, the hands and the and the, and the uh, eyes. I think I think that would be um, important. And I, I think I think the same thing can sort of be said for um, Amy Adams and Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy, uh, and also Kate Blanchett in in a movie that very few people have seen called The Missing that I did a western. But those are again very nuanced performances. And very strong um, characters, uh, and and yet to sort of recognize what they're doing, what's going. You can almost see, you know, the, the eyes of the window and into the soul. You can see what they're feeling, and, and you know, forgetting um, what the words even are in those scenes. That heartbreaking scene where 
people behind him were making fun of the way he walked. Yeah. Even. Yeah, that all came from research, um, and and and, and you, but you know, yeah, to see it played out. Um, if you've ever engaged in that yourself, you're going to be embarrassed, and if you haven't, and you know you're empathizing with John Nash, you just recognize the kind of pressure that he was you know constantly facing. Yeah, you're teaching a lot about vulnerability Being and about other. In your film, several focus on the hero's journey, yet you still manage to convey a lot of information about human frailties at the same time. How do you synthesize a real story to evoke the empathy that makes your films um, so powerful? I try to make, I try to deal from a, um, a perspective of relatability, kind of first and foremost. I mean, it, it, it factors into everything. If you're trying to create suspense, well, then the more you relate to what the character's going through or might fear or might have faced in the past, you know, then, you know, you're gonna, you'll feel it with more intensity. If it's a comedy, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it, it's funnier if you somehow connect with that character. And so little details can do that. For example, Henry Winkler um, is a, just a great comedic actor, a great dramatic actor as well. But I remember when I was directing him, I began to realize why he was so effective, even going back in creating the Fonzie character, which, which I'd you know, experienced acting alongside him. Classic. But when, I, but when I was directing him in Night Shift, he was playing a very different guy. He had all of these ideas, little ideas about how his character would put the pen on the desk or what he would keep in his drawers. And these little details um, didn't lengthen a scene, didn't require any added dialogue, but you know, just told you so much about him, sort of the way that time that he improvised this moment where he's Fonzie, he's in the men's room, he goes to comb his hair, and hey, he doesn't need to. That was all Henry inventing. And again, it's, it's all about um, those kinds of nuances that give you an insight into what makes that character tick. And um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've learned through observing to try to search for those details whenever, whenever you can find them. I was thinking about, you know, the Frost-Nixon film and, and Apollo 13 and, and film that we just saw, that, yes, the, the human qualities were there, too. People's fear or anxiety or um, things that maybe they weren't so proud of. Well, I think that, again, especially dealing with these, with these stories based on real events, um, that, um, you know, you're usually dealing with some pretty remarkable achievement or outcome, or you probably wouldn't be tackling that story, right? And, and so I think it's important to recognize that, you know, uh, r real living, breathing people with all their own frailties and neurosis and concerns and, 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 you know, somehow either rose to an occasion or desperately tried to and failed to, but, um, but that uh, um, they're an awful lot like the rest of us, and um, with all with with uh, you know all those foibles and, and 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 personality factors that that play you know that play a role uh, in in that outcome. So I think it's great for the actors to recognize those things, and uh, great to find them in the writing and and share them with audiences. And the great screenwriters, you know, they know how to do it. Like Peter Morgan, who wrote Frost Nixon and Rush. He also does The Crown, which is just a great show, and you know, and and, uh, and he did The Queen, 
you know, and last king of Scotland. And they're always about these characters in conflict, you know. But they're funny, they're strange, and, you know, and, they, and their, their weaknesses are exposed, along with their strengths and what can make them, you know, imposing or terrifying or, or noble. I don't think you said truth is stranger than fiction today when you were talking to the students about my mother used to say that. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think that that's, that's one of the great reasons that you tackle these stories. And, uh, and when audiences know that they actually happened, you know, then they'll accept this kind of outlier behavior. Whereas if you say it's fiction and you let these characters, you know, succeed when they otherwise might not, you know, you, you wouldn't expect that it's possible for them to succeed, you know, then, uh, uh, I think it's kind of inspiring for people, you know, and, and, and in some instances just makes it all the more entertaining. Like, really? That really worked out? Let me look it up. Oh, my God, it really did work out for that person. How? Well, now I've seen how that worked. Maybe, maybe I'll face some problem at home or work in a slightly different way. And again, all stories, they're, they're all really about helping us understand how we choose a path forward. Whether it's a goofy comedy or uh, or an allegorical fantasy uh, or 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 something based on real events, that's really what all stories do for us. You know, it's like it's 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 an action reaction cause and effect process that you're sharing in, in the wake of some event, a problem that's testing the characters, and you know, one by one, you sort of see what choices do do they make and why. And what works and what doesn't work. And it, again, it's all just goes back to sitting around the fire and, you know, here's what you might do if you, uh, if you run into, a, you know, a woolly mammoth <laughs> charging in your direction. Do you run left? Do you run right? Do you fall down? Do you <laughs> pick up a spear? What works? What doesn't work? Let's talk about it. Let's and build a story around it. Pinned in logic, too. Yeah. Yes. So I understand you have fondness for VW bugs, or one particular one, and I do too because my first VW bug in 1975 um, really helped to start this college. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I sacrificed mine, uh, <laughs> but I heard you found yours. You I did find mine. That's I, I, uh, I, I'm, my first car was a, was a 1970 VW bug. I bought it new. Remember, I had some money from having been on the Andy Griffith Show. So when the time came, I wanted to buy a Barracuda, but my parents wouldn't let me get a Barracuda. So I got a VW Bug. And, uh, and it turned out to be that was the car that I courted my <laughs> now wife, Cheryl, in. And uh, we drove it, and then it kind of drifted off into extended family and found its way into Northern California. And, and, uh, and then was eventually kind of sold out of the family. And I thought I would never see that VW Bug again. And... Uh, about 10 years ago, my uh, brother and sister-in-law found it in Reading. Somebody had been using it to deliver eggs back in the backcountry there. And they knew it was my car because I had my USC uh, parking stickers uh, on there from 1973 and 74. And they acquired it. And Mike sort of rebuilt the engine a little bit. And they shipped it back to us in the east. And uh, Cheryl and I still get out there and... Uh, uh, I court her again. <laughs> I think that's a very good idea. <laughs> no, mine always started up every day. It was very reliable. I, I loved it. It's always interesting to hear how someone got started in the industry. And, of course, your origin story basically unfolded on screen. 
which you and your mother have chronicled in your book, The Boys. Looking back, what do you consider your major milestone moments along this extraordinary journey? I think number one was, which we, I, you know, talk about in the book, my dad was, you know, a struggling actor in New York, making the rounds, which is what they used to have to do by foot, go around, visit casting directors and just say anything for me. Got anything going on? What's happening? And they would literally make the rounds. And uh, everyone tolerated that. They expected actors to just show up in their office. And one day he wandered into an office, uh, casting director for MGM, and the place was teeming with kids. And he left a note. He said, uh, Rance Howard stopped by. I see you're busy with a lot of kids. If I ever have an opportunity to read for anything, you know I'd love to. By the way, I have a son who's a fine actor. Well, I was three at the time. He was just trying to be kind of clever. However, my dad did know that I, I had a scene I could do because that summer he had been directing Mr. Roberts in Summerstock, and he saw that I had been imitating the dialogue. And so he and I had put together a scene where he would play the Henry Fonda character from the movie, and I would play the Jack Lemmon character from the movie, and we would do this scene. And I remember doing it and getting laughs from the grown-ups, and I thought it was kind of funny. And the, the guy called my dad and said, do you want to bring your son in? So my dad did, and we, I don't remember this. We did our, our scene, and I guess he asked, can he do anything else? And my dad said, I don't have, I have no idea. And they gave him some, some sides. Uh, I went home, memorized that. One thing led to another, and it was my first acting job ever, uh, a movie called The Journey, starring Yul Brynner and Deborah Carr in 1958. And because it was going to shoot in Vienna, Austria, my parents, who were so poor, said, this is our only chance to get to Europe. We'll take the money, put it in a college fund for Ronnie, and uh, we'll, have, we'll have an experience, and he'll never have to act again. It'll just be a one-off thing. But I really took to it. And my parents saw that I took to it. And I was obviously the beginning of this remarkable uh, journey. And so then landing in the Andy Griffith show was a, 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 bit of a, a bit of a fluke. And so, you know, it, my father was great at teaching me. Later, I learned how to continue to grow myself and take advantage of opportunities. But it's a lie if you don't acknowledge that, of course, there's good luck. Yes. involved. You know, opportunity does have to knock. Uh, and, um, you know, it's what you do with it, what you're able to do with it. I had a lot of support as a child. And then I've tried to, again, um, take advantage of good opportunities when they come my way. Mm -hmm. I look back at the history of SCAD and I think it's like a constellation because at the time they seem like, these events seem like individual stars. But then you look back on it and you can see that they kind of form a picture, a yeah. pattern. Uh, yeah. It's remarkable. I'm dying to know a little more about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm wondering what's next for you. What should we look forward to? Well, um, of course, you know, my partner Brian Grazer and I are so engaged with everything that's going on at Imagine Entertainment. And our company has grown, you know, in recent years beyond just what Brian and I can sort of generate. We have executives, we have collaborators with far more autonomy than, than we ever used to allow. And we're, you know, because we're growing. We have a documentary division, which is just doing tremendous work. Um, we've, had, we've had documentaries show here uh, at the festival. 
and I think we're even going to have one this year. So uh, that's exciting. Our branded content, and it is so much more about trying to create opportunities, you know, and sort of grow unicorns if we can. Um, and and while still pursuing our own creative ambitions and business ambitions, which you know both of us are still really uh, active in. Uh, from a directing standpoint, I'm about midway through my first animated uh, feature film oh. for Netflix. I've never directed an animated feature film. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, and uh, it's called The, the Family Treehorn. I'm also um, in the early stages directing a documentary about Jim Henson, the creator of The Muppets. That will be for Disney+. Plus. Uh, and working on various scripts that could be my next uh, live-action um, narrative. Well, I hope we'll have those at the festival um, Me too. not too long from now. I thought it was interesting that you quoted George Lucas as saying that animation is the purest form of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think because, the, you know, the most autonomy for the animators. He was really thinking about, you know, sort of the, the, the director as animator and, uh, you know, and certainly making short animation, you know, being able to just control everything. He's, uh, he's a guy who likes control. <laughs> and it shows in his work. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been an extraordinary day, one that I will never forget. Thank you so much for being here, Ron. Pleasure. Fun to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ron Howard. You can watch 13 Lives on Amazon Prime Video. On behalf of all of us at SCAD, I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and holiday season, and I thank you so much for your continued support of On Creativity all throughout this season. Thank you for tuning in to SCADcast and On Creativity, executive produced and hosted by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace, with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett. We'll see you in 2023.